Dinesh, did you manage to find that PowerPoint? Okay. It's just got three slides. I don't have the clicker with me. It didn't seem to work last week. So if you could just put the first slide up, Salon. Uh, we're looking at this week in particular, we're focusing on, the, on uh, the gospel passage typically in Lent. During the first week, we look in the first Sunday uh, of Lent, we look at the temptation of Jesus in the wilderness. I think we all know the story fairly well in terms of we've heard it. Uh, but let's reflect on it for a moment. I've tried to say in a way, summarize what I'm trying to say for the whole sermon is this. The temptation of our Lord reveals his purity of heart. And it prepares the way for Jesus to purify our hearts. What we see happening reveals the purity of Jesus' heart. Uh, we, can, we can delight in it. But it's not just an example. It's not just Jesus' preparation. Something is happening uh, that helps Jesus to, uh, begins to prepare the way for Jesus to purify our hearts. I'll try and explain it as we go along. See, during Lent, uh, our practice is that we follow Jesus being led by the Spirit into the wilderness in order to be tested by God or tempted by the devil. It's interesting, Jesus is, it says he is led by the Spirit into the wilderness in order to be tempted by the devil. Uh, someone, uh, one commentator wrote, uh, Temptation and test are flip sides of the same coin. A temptation in the hand of the devil is a test in the, hand of, in the hands of God. Uh, We've uh, got two young children. One of them is uh, Theodore, uh, our, our lively. Uh, Beth tells me that's teacher language for uh, sort of out of control. <laughs> uh, lively three-year-old uh, a lot of fun uh, and very caring, and we love him dearly. But sometimes I enjoy just watching him, yeah, sort of uh, seeing what, he, what he's going to get up to. The other evening, uh, we said to them, brush teeth time, and Elsie went, brushed her teeth. Theo brushed, came later, brushed his teeth. And Beth and I, uh, used to Elsie being very responsible, we sort of leave Theo quite unsupervised at times to sort of do the things we might have supervised Elsie with. Uh, and I just heard the tap on full blast and just heard vicious rinsing going on. And I thought, I just want to watch a little while and see what's going on. Uh, and uh, because Theo loves water and he can do all sorts of things with water and very soon the bathroom's covered, uh, the floor's uh, full of water. And in one sense, I could have intervened. I could have just stopped it right then and there. But as his father, I was also interested to know how would Theo handle this responsibility? Can I trust him with this? Or is, how do I help him grow into the responsibility to learn how to brush his teeth appropriately? So he didn't watch, he didn't see me, I just watched him. He did quite well. The tap was on full blast. There was definitely more water than what he needed. And he rinsed out about nine, ten times. Uh, but in the end, without my intervention, he closed the tap, got down, uh, ran to his bedroom. Uh, I don't know who tempts Theo to do some of the crazy things <laughs> that he does, uh, but I was allowing it as a test. 
I was allowing it as a test to see how is he going to respond and how can I help him? Jesus is led by the Spirit into the wilderness in order to be tested or tempted by the devil. But we, as we'll see, this, uh, what happens here often harkens back to what happened to Israel. In fact, Jesus has just been baptized and he comes out and the Spirit leads him into the wilderness to be tested. Israel came through the Red Sea, through the water, and rather than 40 days and 40 nights, for 40 years, they're tested in the wilderness. And in fact, in Deuteronomy, it says, uh, God allowed you to be tested in this way so that you will be humbled and so that God may know what was in your heart. Well, Jesus, we're going to see what is in Jesus' heart as the Spirit leads him into the wilderness. You see, our lives are made up of the choices that we make, largely, in many ways. Most of the things that happen to us, we really have very little control over. What we do have control over, what we do have a say in, is the choices that we make with our lives. And it's interesting as you look at this passage that the devil's work is mostly described as tempting us to make poor choices. Hardly ever, ever see the devil doing this in the scriptures it's that we're incited to make poor choices the devil's work is described as tempting us to make poor choices however attractive they might seem ultimately they lead us astray while these choices that we make in our lives whatever circumstances we face our choices come down to what's in our hearts it comes down to who we trust, what we trust. It comes down to what we really value. Maybe I'll put it to you this way. It comes down to what we worship or who we worship. It matters what's in our hearts. An example that I want to try and uh, show and is around the area of the busyness in our lives. And the longing that I have and that I see many people have for simplicity, uh, for more simplicity in their lives. I'm actually going to be exploring this topic over and over again in the year to come and allow my sermon, different sermons and different themes to unpack a perspective on simplicity that might be helpful. Because as I've realized that I, there's no one thing, uh, it's all of our lives that need to be aligned towards God. But there's a good place to start. Many of us are worn out from work. And even if you're not working, I'm told you still worry. <laughs> We're worn out from work or from worry and we long for simplicity. As I've been reading and reflecting on it, I've been reading particularly from Richard Foster's book. He's got a fantastic book called uh, The Freedom of Simplicity. And... It struck me that true simplicity is not about freeing up your calendar. Often we think, my life's too busy. I want simplicity. I just need to ease things out of my calendar. It might help. It would be a good practice if you can figure it out. Uh, it's not really about that, though. It's not really just about taking a holiday and having leisure time. 
although you really might need it and do it if you can and are led to do it. It's also not about putting on light jazz music in the background in your house and feeling, okay, this is, this is good. I'm living the simple life. Um, there's, a, there's a sort of a song, I, I don't believe in fretting or grieving, just give me the simple life. I, I don't know if you know the song. But sometimes I just put on background music just to help me easy. Uh, it's not really about that. That's not going to do you much help. Richard Foster says, simplicity is really rooted in our hearts. Simplicity is rooted in the purity of heart to will one thing. Put it to you this way, he says, the opposite of simplicity uh, is, is not really, uh, it's, it's not busyness. The opposite of simplicity is complexity. He uses the word duplicity. He says simplicity, to will one thing, is freedom. Duplicity, to will many things, is bondage. The scriptures, James says, do not be like the double-minded man or woman, unsure in everything that he or she does. I remember a song that Freddie Mercury sang. He said, I don't know what he was thinking about. I guess he was choosing between lovers. And he said, too much love will kill you if you can't make up your mind. <clears throat> Torn between the lover and the love you leave behind. You're heading for disaster because you never read the signs. Too much love will kill you every time. He's talking about in his life, faced between, torn between two lovers. Uh, duplicity is bondage. Freedom uh, is, simplicity is freedom. To, for your heart to know and be sure about what it wills, about what it longs for. I'll come back to that. But you see, we see here in Jesus, his situation that he faces is not simple, is not easy. But his choices are made simple by his purity of heart. To will one thing. To seek first the kingdom of God. Trusting God that the other things will come to fruition in their proper way and in their proper time. See, what we see on display here is in many ways Jesus' purity of heart and Jesus beginning to make the way for us to follow in his steps. You can put on the next slide. Thanks, Nina. You see, faced with many tempting choices that would really radically affect the fulfillment of his life. These consequences put to Jesus, have, uh, these choices put towards Jesus have real consequence for the path that his life would take. While faced with these radical choices, Jesus chooses to trust his heavenly Father. Jesus is hungry. It says uh, he, he's fasted for 40 days and for 40 nights. And it just says quite simply, he was hungry. <laughs> Jesus is hungry, but he doesn't put his cravings first. Rather, he trusts God the Father, knows his needs, and cares for him. These are legitimate cravings. 
But they don't come first. He chooses to put, uh, to trust his heavenly father. Jesus is vulnerable in many ways, if I can say this. As Jesus experiences these temptations, Jesus experiences them as one of us. Jesus, it says, laid aside his glory. He became as one of us to face and experience the world as we do, only to live in dependence on the Spirit and the Father. And Jesus is vulnerable. His Father has given him, just in the previous passage, has said, you are my beloved Son. With you I'm well pleased. And now he leads them on this path. And the devil says to him, don't you just, you're feeling vulnerable. Why not just feel more secure? Let your father show you. Jump off here and let his angels attend to you so that you can be sure. Yes, you're feeling vulnerable. You're feeling insecure. What about following this path to try and find your security? Jesus experiences his vulnerability, but he doesn't put his security first. He trusts, rather, in God's affirmation of his identity. He holds secure. The Father has said, I'm his beloved son. He's called me to this. I'm going to trust that. Jesus is hungry. Jesus is vulnerable. Jesus is on a mission. Jesus has come to redeem the world. To be a light unto the nations so that the nations will come to God. And the devil's last temptation is in a way very tempting. It seems like a shortcut to fulfill the mission that he's come for. Jesus is on a mission. It seems like this is going to solve his problem. It's going to bring the fruits that he's longed for. If you bow down and worship me, I'll give you all of these nations. Is this not a shortcut that he can take? Jesus is on a mission, but he doesn't put worldly success first. He doesn't take the shortcut. He trusts in God's way. We're seeing on display the purity of Jesus' heart. Facing in many ways the same struggles we face. Our desires for satisfaction. Our desires for security. Our desires for success. Jesus faces these and chooses to trust the Father. The good news in this passage and the good news of the gospel is that Jesus is not merely setting a good example. Although he is doing that. And this is not just Jesus' spiritual preparation for bigger stuff later on. What we see in this passage is Jesus advancing the kingdom of God. This is Jesus, the human combatant like you and me, going into battle on our behalf. You know, when, when an army goes into battle, when somebody goes into battle, we don't all go. Some go on our behalf and they can win a victory for us and bring us new liberation and new peace. Well, this is Jesus, the human combatant, going into battle on our behalf. The passage explains it to us uh, in a theological way because it's using theological terms. 
just hang in with me. It's not irrelevant. I was thinking it's something like this. We all, not we all, many of us look at economic indicators. You know, we're waiting for the budget speech. Oh, syntax is up a little bit. Oh, whatever, property transfer taxes is, is better for us. Those are economic indicators, but we know that they impact our lives, so we're interested in them. The scriptures use these theological terms because they're describing something but which matters for our lives and makes a difference. And so obviously the Bible uses, describes this in its own terms. But we see it in this passage in two ways. Jesus is being like Israel. In fact, we're going to see that where Israel failed to love God with all of their hearts, Jesus succeeds. Where Israel failed to be the light into the nations that Israel was called to be, Jesus succeeds. And Jesus is being the light to the nations. In fact, each of these temptations, Jesus responds with a verse from Deuteronomy, round about Deuteronomy 4 to Deuteronomy chapter 8. In, in those verses, we almost we get the heart of the law of what the people of Israel were called to be. We get that verse, Jesus, where the Lord your God is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. Jesus keeps going back to these scriptures saying, I am being faithful. I am fulfilling what Israel was always meant to be. Jesus, the human combatant, going into battle on our behalf, not just Israel. Go back further to Adam. Jesus succeeds where Adam failed. One writer said, while the first Adam failed in the best conditions, God had given him everything, all the help that he needed. Adam failed in the best of conditions. I don't know about you, I know what it's like to fail <laughs> in the best conditions. But Jesus, as the last Adam, succeeds in the worst. And the Bible describes Adam's consequences, the, the consequences of Adam's choices devastatingly. Sin always has great effect and devastating effect. And it says here, and we read in Romans, death was the result of Adam's sin. Now, this is theological language, but don't lose, try and see the heart of it. Death was the result of Adam's sin. But Jesus' suffering and temptation will enable him to make atonement, to make it right for his people and bring life. Jesus, we are watching Jesus succeed where we have all failed. One of the powerful uh, points at which I see this in this passage, just by chance, is I look at verse uh, Verse 7, don't worry about turning to it, but the devil tempting Jesus to say, throw yourself down, won't the angels rescue you? And Jesus refuses uh, to yield to, to the devil's temptations, but chooses his father's will. Well, the little things, the little choices are the ones that train us and strengthen us for the big choices. Because later on, when Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane, 
and really the battle is at hand. And Peter sees, the disciples see, Jesus is about to be arrested. He's about to be taken. Peter takes out his sword and begins to fight. It's, uh, Matthew says he, he strikes off the ear uh, of, of one of the, the people who've come to arrest Jesus. And you know what Jesus says? He says, put that away. Don't you know that I can in this moment call on a legion of angels to come and rescue me? I've been trained for this. I've been prepared for this. This is what I've come for. To succeed where we have failed, to make atonement, to make amends, and to bring life. All of this means it's, it's summarized quite nicely in Hebrews chapter 2. Let me just read it for you. The writer says, It's obvious, of course, Jesus didn't go to all this trouble for the angels. It was for people like us. The children of Abraham. That's why he had to enter into every detail of human life. Our cravings for satisfaction our longing for security, our desire for success. He had to enter into every detail of human life. Then, when he came before God as high priest to get rid of all the people's sin, he would have already experienced it all himself. All the pain, all the testing. Here's the point. And he would be able to help where help was needed. I don't know what you're facing. I don't know what your great worry is. I don't know what you're working so hard for. But Jesus knows. And Jesus can give you help where you really need it. Jesus is not just for Sunday when we're talking theology and then when you start drawing up the budget on Monday, oh, that doesn't matter. I can't relate. That's where you need his help. When you're faced with struggles with your friends or your family, Jesus knows. That's where we need his help. He knows and he's able to help where it's needed. The last slide. Thanks, Lynette. And so, yes, Jesus is the human combatant going into battle for us. Another way to put it is Jesus here begins... Uh, spiritual heart surgery on humanity he begins to make a way to purify our hearts showing us how to seek first the kingdom helping us to trust god that everything necessary will come in its place see the path that jesus leads us on is not easy but it is simple in this way lies freedom. Duplicity is bondage. You see, if you're alone, really, if when it comes down to push and shove, when you face the things that you're faced, if you're alone, I don't know what you're facing, what that heavy burden is, but if you're alone, you've got to cover all of your bases. 
if you're alone, you've got to guard yourself against the future. What can the future do to you? There's much more than you can cover. But if our trust is in the Lord, if we can seek first the kingdom of God, if our hearts can be fully his and we can learn to say, we trust that our Father knows our needs. We trust that our Father loves us. We trust that our Father cares and is strong to help. We can begin to take radical steps of faith. Do you note that most of the temptations that we face and we see in this passage are not inherently evil. They're good things that God wants for us, but used for the wrong purpose. Well, Jesus shows us how to seek first the kingdom of God. Well, for one thing, we need to know God's will. Jesus shows us some ways in which he was schooled in knowing God's will. The little practices make a big difference. You don't know when you might become ill, but eating well and, and exercising make you strong so that if it comes, you're good to face it. It's the little spiritual practices that make us strong and ready when the moment comes. Here we see Jesus engaging in fasting and prayer. I'm not saying go to a 40-day fast. Please don't start there. But fasting, actually, there's another way in which you can say that, and the message version puts it that way. He fasted for 40 days and for 40 nights so that he could pray and be ready, the message version says. Our lives of prayer make us ready to be led by the Spirit. Of course, we can cry out to God in a moment when we need help. And he hears and he can answer. But it gets really hard in that crazy moment to hear. It's the practice of prayer that helps us to be attentive to the voice of the Lord. Jesus keeps going back to scripture. Jesus. If Jesus, I mean of all the people, he's the living word come amongst us. And yet he goes to the scriptures. We cannot say the scriptures are irrelevant or something done and dusted we don't need. Jesus himself goes to the scriptures. You know, some of the, for most of these moments, Jesus didn't need a special discernment. He just needed to know God's character and God's promises. Most of the time in my life when I need help, the most helpful thing is generally knowing the character of God. Knowing his promises, that cancels out 99% of the choices and the struggles that I face. And then there are those moments where you're faced with what looks like two excellent, good and holy things. And you say, Lord, help me. <laughs> and God will guide you and give you grace when you need it. But the scriptures root us in knowing God's character and God's covenant and helping us to walk in it. The practice of prayer, the practice of scripture, and the practice of worship. I'm not going to talk about worship today. I'm going to talk about it on Tuesday and on Thursday. But it all becomes clear when the devil says to him, why don't you worship me? <laughs> and it all becomes very clear. And Jesus says, ah, it's clear who you are and what you're about. You see, sin desires 
to cast off God's will and to have one's own way. Satan wants to supplant God in our hearts. One writer says, Worship of God is the tangible demonstration that a person has given, that a person gives over the rule of one's life to God's will and not one's own. In our worship, we say, I am the Lord's and not mine. I'm going to talk on Tuesday and on Thursday how that practically works out in our lives. But Jesus helps us. Jesus helps us to see how to seek first the kingdom of God. And Jesus helps us to trust God that everything necessary will come in its place. This is really where the rubber hits the road. When we say, yes, Lord, but my children need the best school. Yes, Lord, but I don't know how long I'm going to live and I need that money. Yes, Lord, but those are not bad things, but they can't be at the top. Jesus tells us it's possible to trust God. He shows us and he helps us. James chapter 4 verse 7 says, resist, submit yourselves to God. Resist the devil and he'll flee. Your temptations might seem more powerful than you can handle. But with Christ, you can resist the devil and he will flee. See, Jesus, having sought God's will, experienced the fulfillment. You see, Jesus didn't turn those stones into bread, but it's quite amazing that later on as we follow Jesus, he does take some loaves and fishes and he multiplies them. There's a moment for it. He submitted it to God. Jesus doesn't here use the angels. He doesn't use the shortcut to fulfill uh, his calling on his life, but he trusts God. God strengthens him for the path that he must take. And Philippians says uh, he is now seated at the right hand of the Father. Having humbled himself, being obedient to the Father's will, he is now the name that is above every other name. God has fulfilled those things which Jesus entrusted to him, which might have seemed impossible, God fulfilled. God can make a way for us to trust him. We're encouraged thinking about all of this and bringing this to an end. What does it mean for us? Well, let me just say this. Why not turn to Jesus consciously and consistently? Whatever you face, whatever you're going through, keep turning to Jesus. He knows and he can help. It takes the decision of a moment and it takes the decisions of a lifetime to learn and understand what that means. But God can make a way. That's why this morning we celebrate. Even the Sundays in, East, uh, in Lent are little Easter's. We celebrate this morning Jesus' purity of heart. We celebrate this morning the advance of the kingdom of God right here in the wilderness. Jesus advancing the kingdom of God. We celebrate this morning the advance of the kingdom of God in our hearts as we choose to worship Him. As we choose to submit our lives and we say, Lord, help me. I will seek first your kingdom. 
and I'm trusting you everything necessary will come in its proper place. Let us pray. God of mercy, Jesus found a sure defense in your word. Strengthen us to persevere faithfully as we confront temptations of life. Through that same Jesus Christ, our Lord, who now lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever.